0: This morning we'll be in Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 36. Before we get there, um, kids and adults, have you ever been in a situation where friends were fighting about something? Have you ever found yourself where you've been around where friends are fighting? And you might have thought to yourself in that situation, I'm staying out of this, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not getting into this fight. And maybe your friends try to pull you in, right? They're like, try to get you to pick a side, right? Uh, but you're, you think, well, it's best to remain neutral, right? To not fully engage, not fully agree with either friend, right? But also not fully disagreeing, right? You wanna, you're trying to stay as neutral as possible. And sometimes this can be a good position to be in, because sometimes, frankly, both of your friends are wrong and they shouldn't be fighting to begin with. Or at least they're not completely right. Each of them has some places where they aren't right. Well, in our world, we have a, a country, the country of Switzerland, that's a, a neutral country. Since 1815, when they signed the Treaty of Paris, they have, perpetually, uh, they have affirmed perpetual neutrality. And yet... Can you really be neutral? Right? It would seem that they and other neutral countries, particularly through in, in World War II, profited off of Nazi Germany. So were you really being that neutral in your neutrality? Is it even possible to remain neutral? Well, this morning we come to a section of Jesus' teaching on his kingdom and the kingdom of Satan. And we'll see that neutrality isn't an option. And in fact, those who remain neutral are, like the Swiss and others in World War II, actually in cooperation with Satan's kingdom. So let's read Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 36. Now, he was casting out a demon that was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Bezalbul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so so will the son of man to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and cond- condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of life, light, but when it is bad, your body is full of darkness." Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your word made flesh in Jesus, your word given to us. In your scriptures, Lord, we pray that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, may our eyes be good, and may the light shine in us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As we continue our series in the Gospel of Luke, last week, Jesus was asked to teach us to pray. And we looked at what is often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. And while Jesus gave us a tutorial in prayer, one that we say week after week and one that we should use as a template for our own prayers, the question that we were confronted with was, do we believe that the Father is good? Do we believe that the Father is good? Do we believe fundamentally that God is good, that He's not kind of Someone who's out to get us. That he doesn't have like, you know, that he's just waiting for us to mess up. But that the father is fundamentally good. And what we saw last week, what we learned is our heavenly father is good. And we see that not only in how we pray, not only in how Jesus gives us the Lord's prayer and what we see Jesus doing in that prayer that shows us that God is good. But Jesus goes on to show us in these little parables that he tells after he teaches them the Lord's Prayer and who he is, that our Father is good. Last week we were shown how our good Father is for us and welcomes us into his kingdom, a kingdom that has come and is coming in its fullness. But there's another kingdom, one which is opposed to the goodness, mercy, mercy, and grace of our father's kingdom. And this other kingdom is referred to in scripture as the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of the air, the kingdom of darkness. And while the kingdom of God has and will fully prevail, the other kingdom is a present reality and there are no bystanders. We have this Statement by Jesus that confronts us this morning that we can't maintain a neutral position in relation to Jesus. Where Jesus says, you're either with me or against me. We can't maintain a neutral position in relation to Jesus. There is no spiritual Switzerland. Jesus says that we must take sides and those who don't are functionally against him. What we see, our main point this morning is in Jesus, the kingdom has come. In Jesus, the kingdom has come. We see that because Jesus is stronger, and Jesus is greater. First, Jesus is stronger, in verses 14 through 26. right Jesus casts out this demon, and he is questioned as to what power he's using. It says some marveled, but others spoke questioning how he casts these out. In the Gospel of Matthew, we know it's the Pharisees who are questioning him in terms of what power he uses. He's accused of using the power of uh, Beelzebub, Beelzebul. And it seems this, this name is, is, is kind of a unique name here um, in the New Testament, but it seems that what the Jews did is they took the name of the uh, heathen god, Baal, <coughs> And understood it in terms of a similar Hebrew-sounding word that meant Lord of Dung. So it's kind of like they're kind of making fun of right of uh, Beelzebul, like Lord of Dung. Um, But they applied it to this to a prominent demon, perhaps Satan himself. But Jesus clearly takes it as a reference to Satan, right? Because he he says that if Satan is also divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? And so Jesus clearly takes this as them claiming that Jesus is using the power of Satan to cast out demons. And Jesus uses just basic logic, right, to explain that a kingdom wouldn't and couldn't fight against itself, right? Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. Simple logic. A kingdom will split and fall if there is fighting amongst those in the kingdom. And he says that if, in fact, he casts out demons by the finger of God and not Satan, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The presence of the kingdom is to be seen, not in good advice or pious practice, but in the power of Jesus, and the power that expels the forces of evil, the power that overcomes, right? Satan is strong. Jesus is not denying that Satan has power and that he is strong, but Jesus is saying, look... In terms, in comparison to me, he is weak. He is weak. He does not have the power that I have. He may be strong, but I'm way stronger. Jesus is the one who overcomes. And Jesus says there can be no neutrality in this. Right? There can be no neutrality in who is the stronger, who is the greater, who is in control. In verse 23, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Jesus makes it pretty plain. There is no neutrality. When we see what the kingdom means, when we understand what the kingdom is, we must either be for it, Or against it. And anyone who does not side with Jesus is against him. If anyone does not gather with Jesus, he scatters, right? It's the imagery of gathering a flock together. Right? You're either with me and helping to gather my people, my sheep, or you are against me and you are seeking to scatter the flock. The sheep. And Jesus goes on in this, in this teaching, which in 24 through 26, it may seem kind of weird, like what in the world is going on here? What is Jesus talking about? He's just say he's stronger and he's just cast out these demons. And then he says, and then when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, he passes through water, this places seeking rest and finding none. Then it returns. What in the world is Jesus talking about here? Well, Jesus is talking about what was understood in that day, that evil spirits would kind of be in desert places. That's where they congregated. That's where they lived when they were not uh, attacking someone, when they're not in someone. So he's talking about this idea that they are out in these desert, waterless places seeking rest, and they don't find any. And that when, when an evil spirit would, would leave someone, whether he was cast out or whether he left, left on his own volition, the void is left. And what happens, he's saying, is that a lot of times people will kind of clean up the house, right? It'll, they'll straighten things up. They'll make it look good. They, they're no longer being oppressed by this evil spirit. And so they are now everything looks good. Everything's put back in order. Everything is fine. But it's empty. Nothing has filled. The space has been left. And so the Spirit returns and says, oh, this place looks good. (laughs) My home looks like a great place to be once again. So Jesus is helping us to see that it is, that our lives must be filled with him. It's not good enough just to kind of make things, to tidy things up. It's not just good enough to kind of make things look good. It's not good enough to fill our lives with something else. It must be filled with him. We must have ourselves filled with him, the stronger one, the greater one. If it is left empty, the picture that we have here, the undesirable tenant will take up residence once again. This is similar to uh, Augustine's view that all people have a a God-shaped void within them that only God can fill. We see this picture that attempts to leave this, this void vacant or fill it with something else will fail. And in fact, we'll be worse off In the end, Jesus is reminding us that this must be filled by Him. Only the one who is stronger, only the one who is greater, can fill that, can fill that void, and to protect us from ourselves and from other evil that might be seeking to destroy. Jesus. not only stronger, but he is greater, verses 27 through 36. This woman, after he's taught these things, she's in the crowd and she raised her voice, said, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. And these words of this woman remind us of Mary's own words from Luke chapter one, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. As the one who, Bore Jesus, who bore the flesh of Christ, Mary is blessed. And what's interesting is Jesus doesn't deny the truth spoken by the woman, right? We might take the way that he responds as, um, uh, ra- like when he says, blessed rather, we might think that he is dismissing what this woman has said. Well, he's not dismissing what she said. He's agreeing with it, but he's saying there's actually something even greater and better. There's something greater than Than my mother who bore me. As blessed as she is, as amazing as what God did in her and her response, Jesus says, true blessedness is those who hear the word of God and keep it, just as Mary did. Right? You think of her, this woman, blessing Mary for, for having and birthing Jesus, Jesus saying, actually, her ultimate blessedness is when she declares, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Right? It is, Jesus is greater. His word is greater even than the one who bore him. Mary heard the word of God from the angel and she believed it. And what Jesus is saying is that membership within the community of God does not come from blood, but by faith, from hearing the word of God and keeping it, which is even greater. Right? As great as it is to be, to be born <laughs> of Mary, as great as it is to be, to be born into the body of Christ, the church, it is far greater to hear the word of God and to believe it to respond to it in faith, to keep it. That is the greatness of the blessedness of Jesus. And he moves on from this greater blessedness that we receive when we hear his word to remind those who are seeking a sign to maybe remind us who might often wonder, well, you know, if I just had something more, then I would believe. What's interesting is Jesus has repeatedly given them signs, right? Over and over and over and over again. If you have eyes to see, you will see the sign of who Jesus is. Right? That's what Luke endeavored to do, remember? Right? That you might have certainty, (laughs) he told Theophilus and us. That you might have certainty. He repeatedly gave them signs and Luke repeatedly uh, keeps those to show us. And he just performed a sign. He just cast out a demon. And yet they continue to ask for signs, something greater, right? <laughs> hey, Jesus, that's, that's, that's good. That's, that's really pretty awesome that you just cast out the demon. But can you give us something greater, something better? And Jesus uses Jonah to help them understand what the ultimate sign will be. Right, just as Jonah was practically dead for three days in the belly of the fish and spit out to life, so Jesus would be literally dead in the belly of the tomb for three days and rise out to new life. This is the ultimate sign, the greatest sign, the bestest sign. (laughs) This is the sign that the generation that Jesus came to saw and many rejected. This is the sign in every generation that Jesus gives and many will reject it. This is the sign. Jonah had been assigned to the people of Nineveh, as we read, the one who came back to life, so to speak, proclaimed repentance, and it was believed by the pagans of Nineveh. Jesus rose from the dead and preaches repentance and new life in him for all who would believe. And he reminds us that the right reception of this good news the gospel involves seeing the signs with eyes, with eyes that are good, with eyes that are open, with eyes that see, that let the light in. We see with the eye, we repent and believe as with the sign of Jonah. The gospel is received through seeing and hearing both for Jesus' original observers and for us as well. Those who see his light and hear his word through the churches, the body of Christ, signs and preaching, the marks of the church. This is the call that Jesus has for us. That our eyes might be the light of our body, full of light. That we might then be full of light for those around us. That we might live out the light of his kingdom and not wallow in the darkness of the kingdom of darkness. In the TV series, Friday Night Lights, Coach Taylor, the head coach of the Dillon Panthers had a saying that he repeated and that the team repeated before each game. You may have never watched that series But I guarantee you've heard this saying, clear eyes, full hearts can't lose. Clear eyes are open and unobstructed, indicating the ability to discern what's important. This is from the writers of the TV show. Full hearts indicate joy and love. What's going up when going up against great odds or any obstacles really these are the qualities that we need. Jesus is the greater Coach Taylor. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Jesus reminds us to keep our eyes clear, that the light may shine in us, that our, we might, our eyes might be open and unobstructed, that we might have the ability to discern what's important. To keep our hearts full of the one who is stronger. Jesus' love, mercy, grace, and joy. And when we know and follow Jesus, the one who gives us clear eyes, the one who fills our hearts, the one whose kingdom we have been called into, brothers and sisters, we can't lose. Praise be to God and Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you that you have called us out of darkness into the kingdom of light. Lord, we pray that you would help us by your spirit to be all in. Give us clear eyes, fill our hearts. Lord, strengthen us in the goodness of your Son and the hope of your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name.